Well, we're in a new series, as you saw on this uh, video there in just a moment, called Shaped by the Word. But a question a lot of people have as we talk about the Bible being shaped by the Word, a question that some people wrestle with is, well, who wrote the Bible? That's a crucial question because the way you answer that question will determine the degree to which you allow this book to shape your life. If it is indeed the Word of God then no other book gives us more insight into our lives. If it is indeed the Word of God, no other book gives us more hope than this book. If it is indeed the Word of God, no other book gives us a a clearer path to a relationship with God. But the obvious dilemma as we wrestle with who wrote this book, the obvious dilemma that we face is that the books were clearly written by human authors. So the question that people wrestle with is, how can this book be both human and divine? How can this book be written by human authors and be the Word of God? I mean, think about it. There were over 40 different authors of the Bible. They lived in different places. They wrote in different languages, primarily Hebrew and Greek. They lived over a period of 1,500 years. Most of them had never met one another. They used different literary styles. I mean, Psalms is very different from Matthew. Matthew is very different from Revelation. So how can we say that this is the inspired Word of God when it is a collection of books by human authors? It really comes down to this. How did 40 different people write what they wrote. I mean, how is it that they lived in different times and they lived in different places and how did, it, how did they write what they wrote? Thankfully, the Bible answers that question for us. I want you to go to a scripture we looked at last week. It's in Second, uh, Second Peter, oh, no, I'm sorry, Second Timothy. Second Timothy. Chapter 3, we'll get to Second Peter in a moment. Second Timothy chapter 3. Here's what Paul says. Paul says, all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful. Paul was saying, he's affirming that the Scriptures that we have are not just the words of men, that all Scripture, every book of the Bible, every page of the Bible is God-breathed. And Paul says, God was actually involved in the actual writing of Scripture. So much so, watch this, look here. Paul says, this book is so God-breathed that every part of it is infallible, inerrant. It is the Word of God. That would been a good place to put an amen, by the way. We need to practice on that, don't we? But the real question is this, but how did it happen? Yeah, we can say that it's all God-breathed, but how did it happen that that God breathed into these human authors to write what they wrote? Well, again, thankfully, God gives us the answer. Second Peter this time. On over to the right. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 20 and 21. Paul begins in verse 20 this way. He says, above all. In other words, the one thing that you really need to grab hold of, the one thing you really need to understand as you're looking at this idea of human authors writing an infallible Word of God, Paul says, above all, this is most important, above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. It's not their own ideas they were writing. Verse 21, for... Prophecy never had its origin in the will of man. But men spoke from God. They were speaking from God 
as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. You might want to underline that. As they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Peter was emphasizing here that both God and men were active participants in the production of Scripture. That yes, there were human authors involved, but yes, God was involved as well. And he says this is how God did it. They were moved along. The word moved along there has the idea of, it's the same word you would use to describe a ship being moved along by a blowing wind. God is the ultimate source of the content. God, through the Holy Spirit, moved this, the writers to write what they wrote in such a way that the Bible is actually the Word of God. Now, I'm not talking about dictation, but I am talking about inspiration. The Bible scholar Charles Ryrie put it this way. He said, God superintended the human authors so that using their own individual personalities, they composed and recorded without error His revelation to man. Now listen, I want you to write this down. The Bible is not man's words about God. The Bible is God's word to man. You need to make sure you have that clearly in your mind. That this book is not simply man's words about God and who God is and where God lives. It's, It's more than simply man's words about God. It is God's word to man. Now if that's true, follow me here. If that's true, then that would make the Bible the most important book in history, wouldn't it? If it's true that this is not man's words about God, but it's God's word to man, that would make the Bible the most important book in the world. You know, I looked up, I googled this week, best-selling books of all time. The best-selling, as far as regular books, the best-selling book of all time, A Tale of Two Cities by Charles Dickens. So 200 million copies. That's a lot of books. Number two on the list, best-selling books of all time, was Lord of the Rings. 150 million copies. But according to the Guinness Book of World Records, in 1995, I don't know why we don't have more up-to-date records, but according to the Guinness Book of World Records, in, in 1995, up until that point, there were 5 billion copies of the Bible sold. 150 million of Lord of the Rings, 200 million uh, from, uh, what was the tale of two cities? 200 million of that one, but 5 billion of the Bible. Now here's the question. Here's the question. What is it about this book that makes it so popular? What is it about this book that makes it so popular? I, I think there are two reasons that this book is different from any other book you'll ever read. And that's what I want to give you today. All of this other has just been introduction. Get your pen ready. Let's dig into it. There's two reasons why this book is different from any other book you'll ever read. And here's the first reason. God's truth is absolute truth. Go with me to Psalm 119. This is where we're going to dig in. Psalm 119. We were there last week as well. Psalm 119 is a psalm or poem that was written about the Word of God. It's the... It's the uh, the longest chapter of the Bible, the longest psalm in the book of Psalms. And it's a psalm in the middle of the Bible about the Bible. And here's what he says. He reveals to us in Psalm 119 that God's truth is absolute truth. Let me show you a few verses to show you what I'm talking about. He says in verse 144, for example, Your statutes are forever right. Would you underline that? Forever right. 
give me understanding that I may live. Look in verse 152. Long ago, I learned from your statutes that you established them to last forever. You established, I would underline that you established them to last forever. Look in verse 160. All of your words, not some of your words, all of your words are true. And your righteous laws are what, church? Eternal. See, I understand we're living in a society that rejects that idea. I understand we're living in a society that rejects the notion of absolute truth. Over and over again, people say, there are no absolutes. All truth is relative. In fact, culture will say to us that moral and ethical decisions should be made based on your personal circumstances and your personal preferences. That there are no moral absolutes for everyone. That you make the best decision for you. What might be true for you may not be true for me. What might be true for me may not be true for you. That's what culture tells us. They say that all philosophies, all opinions, all religions are equally valid. The key word that they like is the word tolerance. It's the philosophy that I must be free to make my own decision. And no one has the right to tell me how to live my life. Not even God. Culture tells us if you want to live together before you're married, there's nothing wrong with that. Culture tells us if you want to engage in homosexual lifestyle, feel free to do that. Culture tells us if you want to get an abortion, you should be able to decide for yourself what you do with your own body. Now hear me. Listen, listen, listen. Lean in. I'm not so concerned about what culture says. I'm more concerned about what Christians say. Because I understand why culture says what they say. Because they really don't have a foundation to make moral decisions on. I understand that their decisions are made made primarily based on personal preferences and personal opinion and their personal circumstances. That's all they've got to make their decision on. But if you're a Christian, you've got something better than that. If If you're a Christian, you've got another way to make decisions. You've got a foundation culture doesn't have. You see, I'm not concerned about what culture believes. I'm concerned about what Christians believe. Because the idea that there are no more absolute truths is creeping into our churches. The idea that that you do what's right for you, I'll do what's right for me, is, is creeping into our churches. The idea of moral relativism has crept into the church. I want you to know something. I'm going to say it and then I'm going to teach it to you from from the Word of God. There is such a thing as absolute truth and it's right here in my hand. I want to tell you why this is absolute truth. First of all, I want to begin by telling you what absolute truth is. Let me define it for you. Absolute truth is something that is true for all people in all situations and it does not change. Here's another way of saying it. Absolute truth is completely true. It is universally true. And it is consistently true. Now with that in mind, I want you to say it with me. Let me try to teach you here. Let me say it one more time. Absolute truth is completely true, universally true, consistently true. Would you say that out loud with me? Absolute truth is completely true, universally true, and consistently true. 
And with that in mind, I want you to go back to Psalm 119. Let's read the verses we've already read, beginning in verse 144, and see if that's not what the psalmist is telling us. Your statutes are forever right. Give me understanding that I may live. Verse 152, long ago I learned from your statutes that you established them to last, how long church? Forever. Verse 160, all your words are true and all your righteous laws are eternal. Listen to me. Truth doesn't have an expiration date. Truth is true. Completely true. Universally true. Consistently true. It doesn't change because of your circumstances. It's not true if you choose to accept it as true. Truth is completely true if it's really true. You see, if it's really true, it'll be true for all people, in all places, at all times. Now, to help you get a handle of that, some of you have been on Facebook lately. And on Facebook, there's this new challenge. I don't know if you've taken part of it yet, but there's this challenge on Facebook, and it's called, How Hard Did Aging Hit You? Challenge. Some of you know about that, but you've probably posted your picture. Here's what they're asking you to do on Facebook right now. They want you to post your first ever profile picture, and beside that, they want you to post your most recent profile picture, just to see how much you've aged. Just a wonderful idea. Now, now, why would they do that? Because here's an absolute truth. Mark it down. Here's an absolute truth. If you're living and breathing, you're aging. Right? People say there's no absolute. Of course there's absolute truth. Gravity's a pretty good absolute truth. It's true for all people at all, all places for all ages. Gravity is an absolute truth. Aging is an absolute truth. If you're living, if you're breathing, you're aging. You might try to hide it with plastic surgery, but you're not hiding the fact that you're aging. Every year will be a reminder you're getting another year. Every birthday will be a reminder you're getting another year older. And next year you're going to get another year older. Because if you're you're living and you're breathing, you are aging. Aren't you glad you came to be encouraged today? But, but, but let's just take that absolute truth and work on it for a moment. Is that true that, that you are aging? Is that true in all over America? Yes. Is, is it true for the people who live in Africa? Are they aging? Of course they are. What about the people who live in Australia? Are they aging? Yeah. You see, an absolute truth is true for all people in all places. But let's, let's dig into it a little bit more. What about... What about the people who lived in 1819? Were they aging? Did they age? Yes, they did. What about people who lived in 1919? Did they age? Of course they did. People living in 2019, are you aging? Just look in the mirror. (laughs) Me too. And the people living in 3019, will they be aging? Yes, unless the Lord comes back, they'll be aging as well. You see, truth does not change according to people or period or place. Truth is truth. Now, you can accept that. I want you to understand, this is truth. 
and it does not change. It does not change based on your preferences. It does not change based on your personal circumstances. It does not change at any time. It is true in all places, for all people, for all time. You see, this word is true for people who live all across America. This word is true for people who live in Africa. This word is true for people who live in Australia. This word was true in 1819. It was also true in 1919. It's true in 2019. And if the Lord doesn't come back, it'll still be true in 3019. Because God's truth does not change. That's why we call it absolute truth. You see, I really have the conviction that people, the reason people want to say there is no absolute truth is because they do not want to be accountable to what this truth says. The psalmist said, long ago, I learned that your statutes are established forever. It's truth. It's absolutely true. So, well, Keith, why does it matter? I mean, really, why does it matter? Here's why it matters. If there's no authority in your life greater than your own personal preferences and your own personal opinions, if, if there's no authority in your life greater than your own personal preferences and personal opinions, then your life is going to be in a mess, and so will our world. That's why we need the second part of this message. Here's the second point I want you to get. The first one was that God's truth is absolute truth. The second point is this. We need absolute truth to live by. Go back, Psalm 119, look at verse 144 again. Second half of the verse, he said, well, first part of the verse, he said, your statutes are forever right. God's truth is absolute truth. Then he says, the second part of the verse, give me understanding that I may live. Give me understanding, because this is truth. Give me understanding that I may live. You see, we need absolute truth to live by. You see, whenever God shows us the truth of any situation, listen to this, whenever God shows us the truth of any situation that we're in in our lives, it is not to restrict us. It is not to make us unhappy. God shows us truth because He wants to show us the best way to live. That's what the psalmist said, give me understanding that I can live. I may not always agree with what you say, God. I may not always like what you say, God, but this is absolute truth. I need something more than my personal opinion. I need something more than my, than, than my own personal desires. Show me the right way to live. You see, here's the reason we need that. Since the Garden of Eden, Satan has also tempted, attempted to show people how to live. This is the Garden of Eden. He's been telling people how to live. But whenever he speaks, it's always a lie. Whenever he speaks, it's always to hurt you, never to help you. That's why you need absolute truth to show you how to live. Let me help you understand it this way. I got this out of my wife's car. It's the 2017 uh, Escape Owner's Manual. Ford Motor Company gave this to Well, they didn't give it to us. They sold it to us. <laughs> Ford, Ford Motor Company sold us this with the car because, well, they wrote this for one reason. It was not to restrict us in the use of our car. It was to help us in the use of our car. They wrote this to help us understand the best way 
to use that car, the best way to get the most out of that car, the best way to enjoy the car that they've made for us. So, so they wrote this book called an owner's manual to, to help us know how to, how to handle our car correctly. For example, on page 241, if you want to turn there in your owner's manual, page 241. <laughs> on page 241, it says, the oil consumption of new engines reaches its normal level after approximately 3,100 miles, which was new information to me. I thought it was 3,000 miles. I had no idea it was 3,100. I don't know why that 100 miles matters, but according to Ford Motor Company, the creator of our car, they said the best time to change your oil is after 3,100 miles. Right here in the book. Now, you can say they have no right to tell me what to do with my car. This is my car. They've got no right to tell... They've got no right to, that, that, that might have been good for other cars, but that's not good for my car. Or you might say, you know, that, that might be right for you. You change your oil when you want to, but I'm not going to follow that rule. Or I could say this, you know, I was raised to change my oil when I was growing up, but now that I've gone off to college, I've decided I don't believe in changing my oil anymore. I mean, I had, I had a professor that helped me understand that that the only reason they wrote this book was to get more of my money. The oil company wrote this book to get more of my money. They told me to change my oil every 3,000 miles because they're just trying to get more of my money. So now that I'm in college and I'm enlightened, I've decided I'm not even going to change my oil. I don't believe in what that book says anymore. I'm not going to change my oil. And listen to me. You can do that if you want to because it's your car. You can do anything you want to with your car, but you can't avoid the consequences of your decisions. I can testify. You see, in 1978, I went off to college, and my dad bought me a 1974 Plymouth Duster. It was a sharp car. Dad told me before I left home, he said, Now, son, you be sure to change that oil. And you keep check on that oil, son. Don't you forget to check that oil. I understand that, Dad. You raised me. To, I know how to change the law. I know how to check the law. I got you. So I went off to college, and then I met this, this beautiful young lady named Lisa. And I started dating Lisa, and, and that Plymouth Duster had a, had a bench seat. You know what a bench seat is? Let me tell you what, it's not a bucket seat. A bench seat is a whole lot better. You can figure that out if you want to. So, so I started dating Lisa. I started playing softball at college. I, I, just, I just had a ball. I, I had friends. We'd run around. I, I went to class. I made good grades. I was preparing for the ministry. I just forgot that you needed to change your oil. But it was fine. My car was running good until I was going down Interstate 40 one day on the way to come back to school. And all of a sudden, boom. Pulled off side row. Smoke was going everywhere. And I had to call my dad and tell him the engine of the car just blew up. I can't tell you what my dad said in response. <laughs> it wasn't that bad. It wasn't that bad. He was not happy though. He was not happy. See, here's what I need you to understand. It's the same with the Bible. Some of you can testify. You know what? I ignored the owner's manual. Sometime in my life, there was a time in my life, I, I just kind of forgot what God said. I went off to school, I went off to college, and, and I just started ignoring the, the owner's manual. I just started, 
doing my own thing, and, and, and things were going pretty good for a while, and, and I thought this was a great way to live, and, and then all of a sudden it just blew up. It cost you your marriage, or it cost you your health, or it cost you financially. You thought you were getting away with it. It all blew up. Proverbs 14.12 puts it this way. It says, There is a way that appears to be right, but in the end it leads to death. There is, I, I'm going to give you a shorter translation. There is a way that appears to be right, but in the end it all blows up. Psalm 119, the psalmist said, God, I have come to understand that you want me to live by your law, by your word that you want to show me how to live. The psalmist said, God, I, I understand now. You want to show, this is truth. It is absolute truth. And, and you've written it to show me how to live. You've not written it to restrict me. You've not written it to make me unhappy. You've not written it to hold me back. You've written it to show me how to live. Let me show you some examples. We won't look at the ver- or dig into the verses, but let's at least read them. Uh, let's go to Psalm 119, verse 9. Try to keep up with me. Verse 9, here's what he says. How can a young man keep his way pure? And then he says, by living according to your word. Isn't that interesting? By living according to what's true, according to your word. Look at verse 24. Your statutes are my delight. They are my counselors. Because they show me how to live, they give me counsel. They show me how to live my life. They show me how to do marriage. They, they show me how to do my finances. Your, your law, your, your statutes are wonderful because they're counselors. They're showing me how to live. Verse 30, the psalmist wrote these words, I have chosen the way of truth. I have set my heart on your laws. Verse 37, turn my eyes away from worthless things. Preserve my life according to your word. Verse 44, I will always obey your law forever and ever. I will walk about it in freedom, for I have sought out your precepts. He said, you know what? I found real freedom in this. I found freedom in following your word. I used to think this book was restricting me, holding me back. And the psalmist said, no, 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 no. No, I found freedom here. Freedom to live the way God wants me to live. We don't have time to read a lot more, but let's look at verse 68. He says, you are good and what you do is good. Teach me your decrees. Teach me how to live. Verse 93. I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have preserved my life. Verse 112. My heart is set on keeping your decrees to the very end. I've set my heart on this because I finally realized this is truth. It's absolute truth. And Verse 133, he said, Direct my footsteps according to your word. And watch this. Let not sin rule over me. See, we all have a sin problem. All of us do. There's something twisted in every one of us. And one of the reasons I know that is because the guy who wrote this psalm, Psalm 119, it's interesting, for the first 175 verses, he talked about the value of this book. Watch this, listen to this. For the first 175 verses, he talked about how important this book is, how this book is your counselor, how this book will help you live. It will show you God's truth. For the first 175 verses, he talked about the value of this book. And then on verse 176, he talked about him. 
the last verse, he talked about himself. And this is what he said about himself. I have strayed like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I have not forgotten your commands. You see, we all have that tendency to stray like a lost sheep. We all have the tendency to to go our way based on our personal preferences, our personal opinions. We all have that tendency to stray. Even when you know that this is God's truth, even when you believe this is absolute truth, we all have the tendency to stray. We all have the tendency to to believe our own lies. We all have the tendency to twist things and make a case for our own disobedience. We all have a tendency to justify what we're doing and why we're doing it. And that is why we need absolute truth. Because there is something twisted in every one of us. It's called sin. See, if you believe that this is the Word of God, and if you will follow its teachings you will come to know the God of the Word. And then, your life will be changed in ways you've never imagined. Dr. Bill Toller is a name that's probably not familiar to most of you, maybe to a few of you. Dr. Bill Toller is a, or was a seminary professor. He died this week. He was one of my professors at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. His nickname was Rapid Fire Toller because he spoke so fast. And you, tried, you had to try to write as fast as you could. And if you dropped your pen, you might as well drop the class because you, you, you were lost. But one thing he said that I wrote down and I haven't forgotten, and that's been a long time ago. One day in class, telling us his own story, he said, Men, I came to the conclusion that if this book was right, then I was wrong. Pretty well summarizes it, doesn't it? And over the years, I've come to the conclusion that whenever this book speaks, it is always right. And if this book is right, I am wrong because there is something twisted in me that demands to do my own thing, my own way, my own personal preferences. And God says, you can live that way if you want to. It's your life. You can live that way if you want to. You cannot escape the consequences of your decisions. That's why He's given us absolute truth. Absolute truth to lean on. Absolute truth to live by. You see, here's the, let me go back and then I'll close with this. You remember when I first started the message, I said the Bible is written by 40 different authors. It was written in, in different languages. It was written in different places. It was written over a 1,500-year period of time. How, how could that be uh, God's Word when it had so many different human authors over different places, different times? And, and a lot of people use that as saying, see, that, that's not God's Word. That's, that's the writings of men. Let me tell you something. One of the reasons I believe that this is the infallible, inerrant, inspired Word of God is for that very reason that there were 40 plus authors over a period of 1,500 years who lived in different places. Most of them never met one another. And yet when they wrote and you put it all together, it's one simple message. 
the unity of the Bible is an astounding acknowledgement of the inspiration of the Bible. You see, all of those authors, when you put what they wrote together, it created one simple message, and here it is. From Old Testament to New Testament, the message is this. God loves you. God loves you so much, He sent Jesus to die on the cross for your sins. And we all have a sin problem, but Jesus is the answer to your sin problem. In fact, He's not only the answer to your sin problem, He's the answer to the sin problem of the entire world. And if you'll put your faith in Jesus Christ and what He did on the cross, He will change your life both now and for eternity. And that's the simple message from the Old Testament to the New Testament, from Genesis to Revelation. Four, 40 different authors under the inspiration of God wrote one simple message, God loves you. God wants you and His forever family. God made a way through the cross of Jesus to make that possible. Let's pray together. Every head bowed. Every eye closed. We all have a sin problem. We all have that tendency to stray like a lost sheep. But I'm asking you to make this your decision today. I'm asking you to decide. As the psalmist wrote these words, your statutes are forever right. Give me understanding that I may live. God, your word is right. Your word is true. And so I ask you to give me understanding in my situation, the decisions of, that I am facing. Help me make decisions that would honor you, that I may live a life that honors you. You make that your prayer today? Would you be willing to say, God, this is right. I'm wrong. I repent of my sin. And I'm going to live according to your word because this is truth. If you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior today, He wants you in His forever family. And it's no accident that you're here. And you can ignore what God says. You can't ignore the consequences of doing that. So I'm going to ask you to make the decision today to put Christ first in your life, to claim Him by faith as your Lord and as your Savior. And your life will be forever and eternally changed. Father, in Jesus' name we are grateful so grateful that in a world that is so uncertain, in a world where everything seems to be changing, you have given us absolute truth to live by, to shape us. In Christ's name we pray.